Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes for the week ending November 6th, 2020. This is our 55th video cast and our 45th podcast. Boy, what a week we had. <laughs> uh, great week, uh, but like uh, any good deal, they say, is when both parties walk away unhappy. And I think that's exactly what we got this week, election week. Uh, as it stands right now, that could all change. You have the Georgia runoffs in the Senate. We won't know till January 5th, but it, uh, it looks like the Democrats can be happy because they will potentially uh, uh, control the executive branch with VP Biden becoming president-elect. And the Republicans will be happy because they will retain the Senate and keep the corporate tax rate low, among other initiatives uh, from that would have happened in a blue wave. And we'll go, go through that in greater detail in this call. Uh, but this is a case of uh, having all the cake with none of the calories. Um, I think both the Republicans are disappointed and the Democrats are disappointed. And that is over the past hundred years, the formula for a perfect Goldilocks stock market. <laughs> so divided government, no matter how you slice it, uh, you'll see over the years has the best stock market performance over time. So from where we stand, uh, whatever party you're on, you should be disappointed <laughs> this week and you move forward to look at the positives coming out of it, which should be a pretty healthy stock market moving forward. So uh, as we kick it off each week, we're going to start with the uh, uh, media spots real quick just to cover some of the key points. Uh, and then we're going to go right into some new things uh, beyond the article because the article was mostly video this week. So I've got quite a lot of charts to go through and I think you're going to find it very, very interesting and helpful. So first, I'd like to thank Daniel Wiguna, uh, the host of CNBC Indonesia show The Profit, and Yolaiwan Haryana, the producer, for having me on the show. Uh, this was the night of the election at 10.30 our time. It was 10.30 a.m. Jakarta time. And uh, he was asking, you know, what, what was the situation? And I basically said, it looks like we're recalculating. Uh, the market came into this expecting a blue wave at the close. And five hours later, it was looking like a divided government, which is a good thing for the stock market. Um, you know, we went through the nuances of the different major issues. Most of you know the difference in tax plan and uh, COVID policy, jobs plan and, and health care. Um, he was asking about political polarization. I made the point that prior to COVID, when unemployment was at 50-year lows and wage inflation was increasing at the low end relative to the top end, meaning people at the low end were seeing wage growth much faster than people at the top end, there was much uh, less uh, disharmony. Uh, certainly there were social issues, et cetera, and uh, However, I think as we continue to move down with unemployment and people get back to great paying jobs and wage inflation uh, resumes and you get a, a, an equaling of, of um, opportunity and, and, and different things that, that will start to, to happen as we get back on our feet. And speaking of getting back on our feet, what an employment number today, getting down to 6.9%, down from 14.1% in just seven months. That That is a miracle in itself. So uh, so there is some silver lining to, to what's been happening. Um, the investor fears he asked me about, I said the number one investor fear was the corporate tax rate going from 21 to 28%. Uh, that would have taken $20 off of S&P earnings. And even if you did a 3 or $4 trillion stimulus package with a blue wave, it wasn't enough to offset that loss in earnings in the short term. That would take a year or two or three years to kick into the system. So we potentially would have taken a, a meaningful sell-off, particularly also with <clears throat> end-of-year selling for the long-term capital gains. Now all that's off the table and we're back into the Goldilocks scenario. Um, the... Other issue, obviously, we'll get a smaller package. We would have got two to three trillion. Now we'll get one to two trillion, or maybe less. We'll see. Uh, the word is out. 
Jeremy Siegel, the professor from Wharton, said that um, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden are good friends, so maybe they'll come together. That would be nice to see in government. Look, they came together in the middle of the COVID crisis and got the CARES Act done, and that saved us from a Great Depression, along with actions taken by the Fed and Stephen Mnuchin's uh, help in bringing people together. So uh, so there's hope. So that's, that's a very good thing. And uh, he was talking about which sectors would perform better on, under each presidency. And this is a really interesting and tricky question, which we're going to get into, because the sectors that you would think would do the best under Trump uh, actually did the best under Obama and generally vice versa. So we'll, we'll just look at the data and you can draw your own conclusions by the end of the call. Uh, so that one might be a little tricky, but um, I think it's going to help some of the left behind sectors uh, if, in fact, we wind up with a divided government with uh, Joe Biden as the president. So uh, that was that one. And he also asked some questions about safe havens. Should should you buy gold? I said, certainly gold will go up, but if you'd bought $10,000 worth of gold in 1942 versus $10,000 of an S&P 500 index, you'd have $50 million more dollars uh, buying equities than you would uh, buying gold. And I think the same thing holds true. I think gold is going to go up. It's going to retain purchasing power. Uh, so five years from now, even if the dollar weakens, you'll be able to buy the same suit uh, with the the one bar of gold, a high quality of suit because the gold will appreciate and the price of the suit will appreciate. So you won't lose your purchasing power. But if you buy equities, you might be able to buy four or five of the same suits because you have the growth and the compounding and the distributions, etc. So um, uh, that that's how I think about it. And he was asking about bonds. I, th I said with negative yields around the world, Buying bonds, uh, you know, with a one or two percent increase in rates, you could lose a material amount of your principal. So that's probably not the way to go. The way to go is to use this dip this year, particularly in his case in emerging markets in Indonesia, uh, as an opportunity to buy for the long term. The market served up an opportunity. It's it's uh, it's a real great chance for him to take advantage and commodity centric com uh, countries as uh, that $20 trillion of combined monetary and fiscal policy that's been pumped into the system globally um, to deal with the coronavirus crisis starts to circulate. And as we get better treatments and vaccines and people get back to, to normal life, the velocity of that's going to pick up materially. You know, you've seen it already in money supply growth up 24, 25 percent year on year. So, uh, you know, cash is going to be trash and you've got to have exposure to assets um, to to do well. And you could do exceptionally well if you have the right assets. And that's why we come together each week to talk about that. So uh, thank you again to Daniel and Yolaiwan. Uh, moving on to uh, Yahoo Finance. That was on Wednesday. I want to thank Alexis Christophorus and Sarah Smith for having me on the show. Enjoyed that one. And what we covered here was, uh, again, a situation of having your cake and eating it too. Um, the most bullish outcome is the gridlock. Uh, the tax fear is now off the table, so the earnings won't be impacted. Earnings estimates are, have now moved up even from 167 to 168 so in the last week alone so that's really good uh obviously the downside is a smaller package uh however i you know tech started going up immediately i also uh, laid out the fact that this might be the everything market because cyclicals historically outperform in the six months following elections and in a new business cycle and we're, we kind of have a situation of a delayed business cycle and a delayed election result because uh you know it's going to take you know i i don't know exactly how long i mean it will just be disputed etc but you know some time to get a definitive winner on both the senate and the uh executive uh, on the presidency but i think that the numbers are going to be clear enough soon enough that um, that some of these these statistics can start to kick in. Um, but the key point that I covered both with Alexis and the next day with 
Jill Melandrino. I want to thank her for having me on NASDAQ Trade Talks the next day. And we covered a lot of the same subjects, so I'll just nip them in the bud here, was that um, irrespective of the political issue, what you have is a situation where... Uh, one, of course, you've had $20 trillion of fiscal and monetary policy global to solve a $3.6 trillion problem. But the four constants are we're going to get stimulus, hopefully sooner than later. It, it would have been 2 to $3 trillion. Now it's going to be $1 to $2 trillion. That's fine because the corporate tax rate stays low. We are going to get a vaccine before the end of the year. The AstraZeneca CEO was on saying that um, yesterday morning. Uh, as was the uh, Pfizer CEO a couple weeks ago. So those are all good things. Hundreds of millions of these have already been produced. Now we're just you know getting to the step of emergency authorization and then full approval. Uh, three, what we're going to see here as this election stuff winds down is the states are going to start to reopen more aggressively. That's going to add a tremendous amount to GDP. And the fourth constant, no matter what happened politically, is that you're going to have the, an unlimited Fed backstop. And uh, Jay Powell said as much this week. <laughs> so you'll see accommodative. They're going to pin the, the short end of the curve, the long end of the curve. They're going to allow for the time being to do what it's going to do. And over the past few weeks, it's been trending up uh, in yields. And we're going to discuss that today. And then, of course, they'll continue with asset purchases as required and lending facilities, whether that's uh, mortgage-backed securities, uh, treasuries, and or corporate credit if required. So the backstop is there. The checks and balances in, with a divided government is there. The uh, lagged effect of the stimulus in the six to nine months, that $20 trillion getting into the system, plus potentially another $1 to $2 trillion coming out of the U.S. is going to be a big deal. And you're going to see continued deficit spending around the world. So if they're not touching the long end of the curve, those yields are going to widen. Uh, the curve is going to steepen, and that's going to be very good for banks and credit expansion, which is required for a new cycle. So a lot of good stuff coming out of that. So again, thank you to Alexis. Thank you to Jill. And then uh, on Monday... Um, Medicine and Shivani Kumarasan asked me about the uh, ba -ba -ba -ba, okay the election. I said no matter what happens tomorrow, it will be the impetus to get the stimulus done in coming weeks uh, after the election is decided. So we haven't decided the election. I wouldn't expect stimulus, but I I do think they're going to move ahead because there's no political reason to hold it up anymore um, once uh, once that's decided. And then the next day, I was uh, also in an article for Reuters from Noel. Randowich and Chibuke Ogu uh, was the gentleman who interviewed me. I've done a couple with him, so thank you to Ch Chibuke Ogu. And my quote was, um, uh, early results. Okay, this was also the night of the election around 10 o'clock. I spoke to him. I said, the best case is going to be a gridlock either for a Biden or Trump presidency. I think the market is repricing its assumptions, said Thomas Hayes. Uh, chairman of Great Hill Capital. So what was basically happening, you went in expecting a blue wave and by 10 o'clock we knew we were likely to get a divided government regardless of which way the presidency swung. And that was a good thing when we saw um, uh, the uh, Republicans hold the Senate and um, and likely uh, the, the Democrats held the House, although lost a, a handful of seats and uh, and likely have the executive um, although we'll, we'll see, but no matter how you slice it, it looks like it's going to be divided. And that's, that's an ideal scenario. Two weeks ago when, uh, everyone was buying, uh, insurance and panicking into the election, we put out the article, the Taylor Swift, you need to calm, calm down stock market and sentiment results. Um, you can review every article we've ever written on a weekly basis. Uh, if you go to hedgefundtips.com and scroll down the right side under categories, click on commentary or click on sentiment. They show up in both categories. And what I showed at this point when everyone was panicking out ahead of the election was that um, if you actually wanted to predict a top in the market, the, the best indicator you could use was when the VIX was at 10, not at, a, not at 30. 
Um, so, you know, you saw in 2018 when it got down to 10, that's when we ran into volatility after a long rally. Same thing in 2007, you know, we had the great financial crisis. So when you, when you've got that initial spike and then you're, you're, uh, holding above this 20%, this is the time to be selling premium and buying the market because implied volatility is high. Uh, versus buying premium and selling the market, which is what most people were doing um, at that time. And it's the exact wrong time to be doing it. So if you look here, once you get above that 20 line and hold, you're usually much closer to a bottom in the market than a top. And the same thing was the case here. And we, we've had the rally. Now, moving on to last week's uh, article, which we put out called the Back to the Future Stock Market and Sentiment Results. This proved to be largely prescient, uh, which, which was really nice to see with some nuance. We got a big rally and it was uh, concentrated in uh, some areas more than others. Um, and we're going to actually start off with the ask me anything question of the week. Um, uh, each week we take questions from anyone who's written in uh, whatever they'd like me to address on the uh, podcast video cast for the week. And you can send your questions to info at hedgefundtips.com. So this week we had a question from uh, Jim P. I won't use his full name. I don't know if he wants me to. And Jim says, I appreciate the opportunity to ask this question. For the remainder of 2020, which of these should dominate? Reflation trade, i.e. IWM Russell and Dow Jones leading with the S&P 500 and QQQ, which is the NASDAQ lagging. Uh, status quo trade, NASDAQ and S&P leading with Russell and Dow Jones lagging. Thanks again, Jim. Great question. This is the million dollar question. And I think, you know, in the case of a status quo election outcome where Trump would have been president, Republicans would have remained the Senate and Democrats would have retained the House. Uh, I think it was pretty cut and dry that the knee jerk reaction would have been cyclicals first and um, banks, financials, energy, etc., and uh, the initial reaction off of the what was perceived to be a Biden presidency, Republican Senate and Democratic House was really a rally in everything. And while it felt like it was only tech, it actually turned out to be everything. And we're going to actually go through it. But I want to show you because, you know, we put out this bold call last week when everyone was very, very negative And we said that. Um, this was back to the future, like 2016, there was weakness into the election and that, uh, the market bottomed the Friday before the election and started to regain most of the previous week's loss on the day before and day of the election and followed through towards the end of the week. So that's exactly what happened this week. We basically regained all the losses in, in the major indices in the last week. So it was the exact same thing. And you could see what the stock market was doing. Uh, it was actually lower than this because this was the Wednesday I put the article out and the Friday we did the podcast, it was even lower. Uh, and we did get this type of V-shaped recovery in the S&P 500. Uh, and now we're going to talk about the financials. We're going to talk about uh, the 10-year yield. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Wells Fargo. We're going to talk about energy. We're going to talk about ExxonMobil and some of the others, defense stocks and uh, general dynamics. So these were just some of the ones that we we put charts out from 2016, what happened after the election was decided. By the way, we don't have a decided election, so we really don't know which are going to be the best. But we're going to take a look at what's happening now, and rather than predict it, just kind of take a look at what's actually happening. But the core thesis of this article last week was that we're going to get a huge rally, and no one was looking for that. Everyone was thinking, sell, get out, who knows what's going to happen. And uh, and it, it turned out exactly according to the roadmap, which was really nice to see. Um, I'll cover this really quickly because Ryan Dietrich put out a few interesting stats. He is an analyst over at... Um, LPL Financial, which is a brokerage RIA house, 
um, a lot of uh, independent financial advisors, and he puts out kind of market commentary for the company. And he did the, the stats. He said, uh, okay, since World War II, only three other times has the S&P 500 gained 1% or more for four consecutive days. Uh, this is a small sample size, but um, here's what happens six and 12 months down the road historically. The always positive, the average return is 14.8% six months later, 26%, 24 months later. So it's, it's a very bullish signal. Um, the other stat he put out since World War II, the S&P has gained more than 7% in four days, 51 times, including the most four, four most recent days. A uh, year later, 93% of the time the market was up, 19.5% on average. So uh, this is very bullish. This third one is actually the same as the chart. So that was helpful statistics <laughs> in line with what we've been talking about for some time about a secular bull market. Um, uh, okay, so what did the S&P do? Just like we had anticipated in the back to the future market, here, here was the line we drew. We were down huge into the election and then boom we regained all the losses really quickly and that's exactly what happened 9.3 percent trough to peak now uh tech was like everyone was like wow uh yeah no question the, the nasdaq was up 10.8 percent so a few basis points more it shot out um uh following this and then uh but to answer Jim's question, look at the Russell, 9.18%. So not much less. I mean, you had a monster move in the small caps. And surprisingly enough, in the financials, you had 8.28. So that lagged a little bit behind. Uh, we'll take a look at the 10-year and, and get a sense of why. But I think there's just still uncertainty until we get a definitive you know, declaration and, and just move forward here. Um the next one was the energy XLE off the lows. And I didn't even take this um, tail of this candle. I just uh, went uh, higher, but 10.88%. So actually trough to peak, it was probably like 11, 11 and a half, which was more than tech. It's weakened in the last few days. So we'll have to see how this plays out. And we'll talk about some of the conditions coming, coming to play. But, you know, the key thing about... Um, reduction of drilling or if he's a number one he's blocked in the senate with a lot of these things but even if he can reduce drilling on federal grounds with an executive order i don't know if he can or he can't but that would be bullish for the sector because we do have to take out some of the weak players and take some more supply offline um i think trump's uh claim that you'll be seeing uh, it wasn't trump's claim it was actually harold ham's claim that you'll be seeing six dollar gas at the tank uh, I think that's an exaggeration, but I do think that we'll probably be seeing three or four dollars at the tank three or four years out for sure. Uh, part of that's going to be due to supply reduction because of the new administration. I think part of that is going to be, um, you know, President Trump had a lot of leverage um, with the Saudis for some of the things that uh, happened that um, he didn't press them on. And I think they had a, 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 a helpful quid pro quo to keep oil prices down. He was always from the 80s, if you looked at his interviews, anti-OPEC, he said it was a cartel, it was price fixing. So he put a lot of pressure and basically anything he offered them in terms of friendly trade deals, negotiations, were always contingent upon um, not driving the price of oil up, uh, which had been the case in, you know, uh, earlier stages of, of the, the last decade. Um, I think that's going to go away. I don't think the Saudis are going to feel compelled as demand comes back. I mean, right now, in, in some sense, they don't have a choice, obviously, but because demand fell off, off the face of the earth uh, because of COVID. But, but with that coming back now, you're seeing the demand in China. You saw an 8 million barrel draw this week, which was phenomenal. Uh, I don't think there's going to be the will to uh, keep prices low if President Trump is no longer in, in power. And I think with the global green initiatives, you're going to see a lot of supply taken offline globally. And uh, but but the demand is going to continue because uh, you have an emerging middle class in, in the emerging markets, uh, which is huge. And um, and it's going to be some time before renewables can be uh, cost effective to fully replace and, and available to fully replace. So I think in the short term, you're going to have one last hurrah 
And I think you're going to see three, four or five dollars at, at the tank. And that's going to be very, very good for the sector. So while in the short term, markets, you know, had this nice 10.8 percent move off the bottom, uh, it, it, it's figuring itself out. But um, the big beneficiaries are obviously going to be the largest players. You know, the, the, the marginal players are going to be toast. And the bigger players like the Exxons, the Chevrons, the Conocos are going to be the first huge beneficiaries. And then maybe the second tiers are also going to stay strong. The, Fang, the Diamondbacks, the uh, EOGs along that ilk. So um, so that was nice to see that big move from last week's podcast. Same with defense stocks. That was another one of our big ones that we covered in the Back to the Future um, thing and uh, article. And those were up 10% off the bottom. So that was really nice to see. Um, they uh, faded and now they're coming back a little bit. So that that's positive. Even Wells Fargo, the most hated stock in the S&P 500, uh, jumped 9.45% off of that uh, article off the lows. And it's just been trending here waiting for direction. And the direction is the 10-year yield. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and then we also pointed out when we were talking about defense and financials, financials we pointed out wells fargo in in the back to the future article defense we pointed out general dynamics that had a monster run after the article of 11 percent uh in a number of days so so everything is following according to script it appears in the short term rather than being a cyclicals only it seems to be an everything rally tech included but we're going to kind of drill down a little bit on that a little more on that today in this podcast video cast now <laughs> Although tech had the big first day jump, it they did close red today, uh, FANG stocks. So it'll be interesting to see. They could have some short-term juice. I'll leave that to the day traders. But I think the general trend is they need to rest. And, uh, the, and the reason being, we, we spent a lot of time last week on Apple, Amazon, Google, and Facebook because I went on Cheddar with uh, Kristen Scholler to talk about their earnings last week. Uh, but the key thing there was that, you know, the S&P is going to grow about 24% next year. It's trading at about 20 times forward earnings, whereas these four stocks on average were trading at 39 times earnings uh, 2021 earnings, 51 times current year, by the way, but 39 for 31% growth. So you're paying 95% higher multiple for 26% higher earnings growth rate. Uh, and, um, you know, the argument is, well, now it's the, the initial knee jerk reaction was to pull out the Obama playbook, Obama administration playbook, where it was low rates, slow growth, where you had to pay up for, uh, the small pockets of growth that existed, which was effectively FANG, and everyone just knee-jerked right back into that when it looked like um, uh, Biden was was potentially going to be be president. So, uh, which which in fact looks looks likely, but we don't know yet. Um, so, I think that um, so so if you look here at Apple, it 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 spiked and now it's uh, slowing down. Same thing with Amazon. You know, uh, Jeff Bezos has sold $10 billion of stock this year, $3 billion, I think, in the last week alone. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But, you know, uh, you know I, I, I don't like this whole head and shoulders thing, but may or may not be setting up. I don't know. You could also have a breakout. But the point is there are enough other places. Same with Facebook. You got a huge red candle today. Uh, and same with Google. It looked like it was breaking out. Now, maybe it's a failed breakout. Maybe it's just resting and it's going to keep persisting higher. The point is that there are a lot of different ways. The question is, how much do you want to pay for what earnings growth rate? And right now, if you want to own these because you're going to say, well, it's the Obama playbook. I got to pay whatever I got to pay for slower growth and, and find growth in, in a scarce environment. Uh, then the question is, well, do you want to pay a 95% higher uh, multiple for only 26% higher earnings growth rate? Or can you find other pockets, other sectors that are also going to grow, you know, on average 31%, but you don't have to pay 39 times. Maybe you only have to pay 30 times, maybe a one-time pegs price to earnings growth uh, to get that. And I think more and more opportunities are opening as you see, you know, 
industrials, consumer discretionary materials, and financials are going to grow earnings next year at the same pace or higher than the S&P 500, uh, in some cases materially higher, whereas Infotech and um, uh, Infotech and uh, communication services are going to grow at a lower pace than the S&P 500. So why would you pay almost double the multiple for nearly half the growth? And why are they going to grow at a slower pace? Because they pulled forward a tremendous amount of earnings growth this year. And um, that's not to say they're not going to grow. And that's not to say their stocks are not going to go up. We're talking about relative performance. That's the case that we've always made. So um, while you want to have exposure to all of them, the question is going to be the weights going forward. Can you put more weight in those areas that are going to grow as fast or faster and pay lower prices, which in the long term, the statistical data shows you'll, you'll be better off for. Um, so, okay, moving on to the most important factor is the 10-year yield. So while it looked like it fell off the cliff uh, after the election due to the uncertainty and the bid to safety, in effect, we've been in a major, major uptrend since early August from 51 basis points on the 10-year yield, and we've just been making higher highs and higher lows on balance over this period, and we continue to climb upward. High, we made a higher high before the election, and now it looks like we, we bottomed, made a higher low, and now it looks like we're going to hopefully put in a higher high before the end of the year. That will certainly be helpful for financials. The Fed, again, is pinning the short end, 0 to 25 bips. It's not going to um, do any type of twist at, at this point, uh, trying to control the low end, uh, the long end. So, therefore, the curve should steepen. Now, ironically, um, where is I just want to pull out the yield curve. Yeah, here it is. So ironically, we've been talking about the yield curve steepening and financials started to move um, and how it's worked in every single cycle. You know, you go from inversion, then you get inversion is here where the 10-year uh, yield goes below the two-year yield. Uh, then you get your crash and recession, which we got in, in you know, 2000 to 2002 and then in 2008 to 2009. And we just got in 2019. But what's interesting is uh, the way that they get you out of recession is they re-steepen the curve. And that facilitates credit growth. And it's interesting because this green line is financials. This is the XLF ETF. Um, you get this huge steepening, the two-year yield to uh, the 10-year yield to the two-year yield. And then you get this pullback after the first move, and that's when financials actually start to stay, take off in a sense when it stops steepening, after it's steepened so quickly. I guess maybe there's a lag time to get that credit uh, um, uh, velocity into the market, but it's happened and, and it's uncanny, but, but, it, but it does happen. So you had this steepening, then this pullback in steepening, and then financials took off again. So you had a steepening, then a pullback in steepening, then they took off again. And we had the exact same thing here, a massive steepening. We're now having the pullback in steepening, and maybe we're going to get the final takeoff here in financials. We'll see if, if past is any prologue, but uh, I thought that was very interesting to bring up given all that has happened in the past week. Um, so as I said in the article, now is not the time to give up on the cyclical trade. I think in, in effect, the opposite is true. It's just getting started. Um, okay, moving on. We were up to, uh, okay, bullish percent energy. This is the percentage of energy stocks that, uh, are on a point and figure buy signal. I don't use point and figure charting, but I do use this indicator to uh, give me a barometer of sector sentiment and what's cheap relative to what's expensive. And historically what you find with this, and we're gonna just uh, ballpark it here, but effectively when you're down below this 10 percent of the energy stocks are on a point and figure buy you're much closer to a low than you are to a high 
both here. This was the low in the 2001-2002 recession. Then you had one of the biggest sector commodity super cycle rallies of all time. You can't really see it below here because it's small and it's I think it's in log on the bottom. But uh, then the same thing here in 2008-2009. No one wanted them. Uh, at one point, you were at 0% bullish percent, and then you had a monster. And by the way, here's the other crazy thing. Uh, you had this monster commodity cycle under Bush, and then you had the crash, and then guess what? Obama came in, which you know people are saying, well, if Biden gets in, don't, don't be interested in energy. Energy had its golden error under President Obama. I wouldn't say because of President Obama, but I would say under President Obama, it happened. And that's the case with most market phenomenon. It's not it's not always because of a president, it's in spite of a president. And I think that's important because the business cycle is, is much more powerful than any one person. And many of the conditions that create the outcomes were previously set in place. Um, uh, some are mathematical, like earnings and taxes, but other things, there's there's a momentum and a lagged effect to it. But leaving aside, that's a whole podcast in itself. But um, so then in 2009, same thing in 2011 with the euro crisis, it got down to 2%. And then you had this monster rally into 2016. Then you had this period in 2016, if you remember the China thing, and then, uh, uh, boom, we, we had another rally. And now here we are again, back below 5%. And then you always have the first spike, and then you go back and retest it. First spike, retest it, then rally. First spike, retest it, then rally. Uh, all the major bottoms, first spike, retest it, and rally. Sometimes you go below the first leg, sometimes you don't. Uh, 2008 times 9, 2009, first spike down, then you retest and then you rally, and the same thing here, and then you rally. So uh, we're getting the retest now. Do we spike below it to shake everyone out? Maybe. I don't think so. I, I think looking at the different conditions in the market and the way things are set up, I think a lot of these are ready to rip, but uh, time will tell. Same thing here with financials. Um, you know, this is very similar to 2011. You had this, uh, you know, first, this huge crash below 10% of bullish percent in financials. Then you get a rally and some noise. Then you go down and scare people out again. This was in mid-2012. You're basically right here. And then you start a long-term rally in financials. Uh, similar situation right here, huge crash, noise, and uh, we're, we're coming out of it. I, you know, similar to like right around here, I would say we're probably right in here, this type of phenomenon, right in here, this type of phenomenon, and then you break out and you just continue and you persist and you persist and everyone all of a sudden wants them and they're back in favor again. And that's really irrespective of who's president. You know, with the, with the divided government, you won't get any crazy uh things through to crush the banks or crush the energy en industry you'll get stuff at the margins but uh it's it's not going to be material and if anything it just controls the supply and uh and it helps helps the big players in in each sector so that's a good thing next is um well i can quickly go through this just sector by sector the bullish percent so you can have a sense you know, other than energy and financials, there's nothing really that just feels super cheap, like it's at an extreme high or low where you could either start shorting. Most everything right here is feeling mid-range. Uh, communication services at 61. Uh, NASDAQ is, you know, at uh, 57. Uh, consumer discretionary, there's probably some bargains here at 55. Energy is obviously cheap here at 16%. Uh, financials uh, is bouncing off of the, this low here. It was at zero earlier in the year. Uh, then, it, then it did the retest at 22, and now it seems to want to trend up. It's it's uh, making its way up at 56%. Uh, gold miners at 75. Uh, healthcare at 65. Uh, the Dow, some bargains in the Dow with the um, bullish percent at only 40. So that's worth looking at the big components. And those are, you know, industry. There's some industrials in there, some healthcare, uh, like the Boeings of the world. Uh, that that could be real opportunities. 
we've liked those so, so that's somewhere to look industrials at 67 again all mid-range infotech at 65 so that could have legs when you look at fang maybe this was a one-off the red candle but again it's about pricing what what do you pay and what do you get materials at 65 so there's a lot of things here if you dig down within the sec sector you can find opportunity nasdaq's only at 64 um nyse stocks that's more industrial and old world uh concentrated uh at 55 uh s p 100 uh real estate uh sector has some opportunities in it for sure so the reach you have to be careful do only do the highest quality but they're cheap they have good yields yeah there will be some bankruptcies but but just go for the highest quality best balance sheets uh s p's at 60 consumer staples at 50 you can probably find some bargains there uh telecom telecom services sector I, yeah you look at uh at&t and verizon they've been beaten down there may be some opportunity there uh transports uh, at 40 not 50 so there's probably some opportunity there obviously airlines as that comes back i mean you get a vaccine announcement you probably get a 30 percent jump in airlines in a week and cruise ships, even though the vaccine will take a few months to get out, it's it's uh, markets a discounting mechanism. So that's telling you there's opportunity there. Um, that's the uh, uh, Toronto Stock Exchange, and we don't really pay much attention. And utilities have actually kind of they did get a little extreme, so I wouldn't be putting a lot of money to work there. That's at 85 off of a 92 high. They can persist up at those levels, but you know your risk reward starts to uh, be less favorable. Uh, this you have to watch. This is predicted for the Senate. The Republican chances have come down a little bit from 87 cents to 78 cents. So it looks like we'll only the that the uh, Republican Party will only lose one of those two runoff seats, in which case they retain control of the Senate. If they lose both, that could be problematic. Then you're back at the blue wave scenario where you look at a bigger stimulus, but you also look at a haircut to earnings, which would be more problematic. Low probability, but increasing probability based on the last four days gambling odds. But the gambling odds, you know, they didn't tell us a lot about the house. So, you know, take them with a grain of salt. Uh, article of the week. Uh, we've covered a lot of it. The knee-jerk stock market and sentiment results. This was the day after the uh, election when Fang was going bananas and everyone said, that's it. We're back, you know, same playbook. Um, and I said, you know, hold on to your horses. It's it's probably more likely an everything rally than just a tech. And that's certainly proven to be the case in the last 48 hours um, as we went through each individual sector earlier in this podcast video cast. Uh, where was the sentiment, uh, midweek, uh, the bullish, the, uh, uh, bullish percent in the AAII sentiment was only at 37%, which is mind boggling because we had moved the, again, the two days before the ele election as, as anticipated. And then after the election to get such a low read, uh, relative to that action, not, uh, we're not near an extreme. It's moved up is what I want to say, but it's not at an extreme after a big run, tells you we've got a potentially some room to run and certainly was the case with the fear and greed index at 36 quite a lot of wall of worry to climb and even i looked at the national association of active investment managers um they even came down lower they've been selling out of stocks uh the last two weeks so they're going to have to play catch up into the year end if they want to keep their jobs now, uh, as I've emphasized for over the month, over a month, the catalyst for change will be um, uh, science. Don't bet against science, the uh, vaccine and treatments. And I also said, while the knee-jerk reaction to the election was a panic into FANG stocks and a replay of the Obama administration's greatest hits album, this is not the time to give up on the cyclical trade. The expectation for slower economic growth due to, uh, due to the expected election out outcome may be short-lived. There's simply too much money in the system now and the stage is set for a new act business cycle. With all the deficit spending, $20 trillion between fiscal and monetary globally, and that always works on a six to nine month lag. Velocity is gonna pick up. People are gonna take vaccines and treatments and get back to work. And they're wearing masks more, more than uh, they had been. Uh, this, this, is, this is all gonna lead the way for a steeper yield curve, yields on the long end to, to blow out. And that's really what, and, 
and and modest inflation, which is what you really need for the value and cyclical trade to work. Very hard to do that with many states still closed. But now that uh, we're getting some finality in the election, I think you're going to see more and more states open and that velocity pick up and uh, and it's going to be the everything uh, rally. And I think on a relative basis, I think the value and cyclicals will outperform relatively, but you have to have exposure to all of them. It's just a question of weightings. Um, this was an article from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the OPEC producers, they're going to do what's in their interest, which is to uh, continue the higher end cuts. Uh, they were at 7.7 million barrels to the end of the year. And then they were going to move to 5.7 until April of 2022. Now it looks like they're going to push that 7.7 past the beginning of the year, which will continue to uh, show up in the uh, weekly draws. Uh, and now they really have an incentive. If, if the administration is changing, uh, they can basically do whatever they want with price and um, uh, they will not get huge pushback and uh, angry phone calls if, if oil gets back over 60, 70. And even if they do, they'll probably ignore it. So um, I, I think they have every incentive now to ramp it up and and uh, um, and make th make things happen as demand is coming back. Uh, okay, Jeremy Siegel, we covered that, and let's see here. Uh, this was interesting, an article at Financial Times, oil and gas groups buoyed by fading fears of U.S. blue wave. Mr. Biden has proposed a $2 trillion spending for the next four years to decarbonize American electricity by 2035 on the way to hitting zero net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Uh, but the proposals hang in the balance following Tuesday's election, which looks set to deny his Democratic Party the Senate majority needed to push the program through, especially following the Supreme Court's recent tilt to the right. If Biden prevails, but the Republican keeps the Senate, that will prevent much of the $2 trillion in green spending that Democrats favor, said Bob McNally at Rep Rep Rapidan Energy Group and former advisor to President George W. Bush. Court packing, adding states and large tax hikes and, uh, on oil and gas companies go out the window. And uh, I think that's the case. So um, it takes people some time to digest this, but I think that you're going to start to see that this is more the everything rally and how things were setting up moving into the election uh, will play out uh, even if uh, uh, the outcome is slightly different than what consensus was going in. So that's that. Uh, earnings, we went through a few sectors this week, defense and aerospace. Uh, in the last 60 days, the cumulative earnings power of these 30 stocks was up 1.23%. Energy, um, they were revised down by 13.66% in 60 days. But these are very lumpy because you have some companies with negative earnings. So it's... it's it, um, it's, you know, I, I mean, they're also projected to have the highest earnings growth of any sector next year because they're effectively coming off a negative base. So it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> when you grow from one to two, it's 100 percent earnings growth. It, it doesn't doesn't move the needle. Um, OK, transports, you got to go company by company. and You got to stay high quality. The ones that are going to benefit survival of the fittest. Um, transports, uh, 2021 estimates came down 4.6% in the last 60 days. Retail earnings estimates came, went up 10.9% for 2020 in the last 60 days and up 6.19% for 2021 in the last 60 days. So there's some opportunity there. Uh, again, we're seeing unusual uh, option activity in uh, BP this week, 4,400 contracts. Uh, in, in Raytheon, a huge print, that was actually today, 16,800 contracts. We love defense stocks, irrespective of what the uh, executive branch looks like, and we think there's huge opportunity still here. Uh, there's the ETFs, that, but you can buy individual names, you know, Raytheon, General Dynamics, etc. cetera. Uh, insider buying in financials. Uh, this guy bought Johnny Trotter. He's a director of First Financial. He bought a bunch of stock um, on the day that it sold off. After, a regional bank sold off the day after the election, and then they rebounded the next day. He bought it on the down day. Smart guy. 
Same thing with CBOE. That's been down quite a bit. Another financial uh, and uh, a director came out and bought a half a million of that. So um, earnings, as we said, we showed the sector earnings, energy, industrials, consumer, discretionary materials, and financials are the top five in line or greater than the S&P 500 earnings growth. Uh, Infotech is at 14.2%. Um, it's been taken up a little bit relative to the S&P, close to 23%. And overall S&P earnings for 2021, this is a very unusual trajectory. Usually estimates, as you can see, come down over time. In this case, they're coming up. They were too pessimistic. Same with the bank's reserves in the uh, quarter, which is why you saw JP Morgan and some of them start to reverse their reserves. They're going to be re reversing a lot more in coming quarters. That's all going to be earnings power. And sooner or later, the market will sniff that out and start to price it in. Earnings are going to be much higher than is estimated in, in major banks. Um, so uh, now they're up to 168.06 for the S&P. So that's very good news, uh, which would exceed uh, last year at 163.02 and this year at 137 and change. As far as the data for the week, um, we are going to just cover a few of the highlights uh, China manufacturing continues to beat, so that's good for, for general global demand. Again, they're a couple months ahead of us. Um, the ISM manufacturing knocked, knocked the cover off the ball, 59 versus 55. That was huge. ISM services uh, missed, but uh, it was good to see the, the manufacturing numbers. Factory order numbers were big. And again, uh, it was interesting, the API uh, weekly crude draw showed uh, 8 million barrels. And it was confirmed the next day by uh, crude inventories down 8 million barrels. So that was good to see. That, those don't always match up. Uh, and then we got the employment number of all employment numbers. This was phenomenal to just see the unemployment rate plummeting uh, this morning down to 6.9%. It's really miraculous when you consider where we were. And... Um, Non-farm payrolls added 638,000 relative to 600,000 expectations. Non-farm payrolls knocked the cover off the ball with 906,000 new jobs. Last print was 892. Expectations were only 690,000. Again, the unemployment rate plummeted down to 6.9%. And consumer credit is expanding materially. This is a sign of a recovery. You need credit growth to have a recovery. Expectations were $9 billion. It hit $16 billion relative to negative $6.3 billion last print. So again, this is all constructive, moving in the right direction. The rig counts were up modestly, 226 from 221. Uh, total rig counts up to 300 from uh, 296. But that's again down from 1,400 in December of 2014 peak. So all in all, um, you know, a lot of good things happening here. Last thing I'll leave you with just in terms of like general outlook, you know, we are at a, a really historic low in terms of commodity demand, uh, uh, undervalued relative to the broader market. This is from uh, uh, S&P GSCI. So this is... Um, uh, th th these are generational opportunities. And if you think that we can print $20 trillion to fill a $3.6 trillion pothole and not get modest inflation and that won't be felt in commodity prices, I, you know, it, it, it's just not it's, – it's really impossible to, ha to happen. So just a question when that velocity kicks in, when the economies reopen and then this demand just goes crazy just like it did after the 2000 recession just like it did in the um 70s and in the mid 80s uh as well so we're we're at a major major low here and putting it in perspective you can see the opportunity so hope you found that helpful this week it's been a long exciting week and generally a, a very good week in many regards we'll be back next week same time same place and we'll see you then